You are listening to Grace and Mercy Podcast. This podcast is for people who want to know the grace of God and how it changes the way we interact with the world. I'm your host, author Darlene Bojek, and in this episode, we are going to find out what the book of 2 Samuel has to say about grace. We've taken a few weeks of uh, a slowdown on this podcast. I hope you've been able to catch up on the episodes you've missed. Today, we are going to start talking about 2 Samuel by reading a verse from 1 Corinthians. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 1 Corinthians 15.10. We did see this when we studied 1 Corinthians, but I want to review this in light of what we will soon read in 2 Samuel. Uh, There's four sections of this verse. First one says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And what does that mean? It says, we, our existence is tied to the grace of God, right? Who we really are is seen through the lens of the grace of God. His grace toward me was not in vain is the second phrase here. God has a great purpose for this world and uh, for his people. And our part in that uh, is sure. That is not a waste. It is not in vain. It is not wasted that God has shown his grace to us. And then it says, on the contrary, uh, I worked harder than any of them. Initially, um, it may seem as if um, his work is enabling the grace to not be in vain. But that's not what it means here. What he means is that God's purpose for working his grace in our life uh, will result in us working harder in our faith. We work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me is the last bit. So As God's grace comes down, like we say in the charisma machine, as God's grace comes down and works in our lives and through and through our lives, we work hard as a result of God's purpose for our lives. You see, he has given us the strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, as the song says. Okay, so as we read in the story of 2 Samuel, uh, we are going to be seeing that David himself is um, is living this out. David as a model for us of um, a life of uh, an active relationship with God. Second uh, Samuel, we have uh, four times that the word grace or one of the um, one of the words that we've been looking at uh, for grace is found. One time we have the word Hanan and th- three times we have the word hen. Hanan is a verb. Hen is the noun. We're going to start with 2 Samuel 12, 22. This is after David has sinned with Bathsheba, and Nathan comes to David, and, and you are the man. You know, he had just given a parable, and he says, you are the man um, who the parable was about. Uh, somebody had a, um, a poor man had one sheep and he treated it real nice. A rich man had many sheep and the rich man came and took the 
poor man's single sheep. And that's a parable for David stealing Bathsheba from Uriah the Hittite. And then Nathan leaves by saying, the child who is born to you shall die. So we start our verse in 15. Then Nathan went to his house and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and he became sick. Therefore, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw the servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, Yes, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, and when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died you rose and ate food. And he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will bring will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. So in the Old Testament, we've seen the, the use of, um, of grace. is We say that grace is the space between please and thank you. Uh, the, the phrase, show favor to. He says, um, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. Well, the, the idea of the space between please and thank you, David was begging God, was saying, please, if you have mercy, if you will show favor. Favor is, uh, you recall, leaning toward, leaning toward. And, and he's asking God, please lean toward, please have mercy on this child uh, that he might not die for my sin, Right? And God answered, said no. And David understood that was God's answer. And so he, he said, okay. So the please was declined. And he stood up and says, okay. And thank you. So we see from his response that he's not like bitter toward God. He's basically, thank you. He has moved forward with his life. And we see from 1 Corinthians 15, his grace toward me was not in vain. I worked harder than any of them, um, but it wasn't I, but the grace of God that was with me. So he is, he is functioning um, as a result of this answer in his life, even if the answer is not exactly what he wanted, it is still God's uh, given him the strength to move forward with this. So we see in 2 Samuel a few other instances uh, along with this of David having to deal with difficult uh, difficult times. Now, David sinned with Bathsheba and he did not die for it. We might expect him to be killed or to lose the throne, but he has not lost the throne. Instead, he has lost honor with his family and we see uh, a very fast moral decline of his family. 
this child dies is um, a physical uh, death as a result of the family. And then we see relational death. And one of the things that happens is Absalom and um, Tamar and Amnon. Now you recall that uh, this would be in uh, 2 Samuel 13. Um, one of David's sons, Amnon, falls in love with his half-sister Tamar, and he rapes her. And Tamar's brother, Absalom, kills Amnon, and then he is on the run. And then, um, and then they are trying to bring Amnon back, I mean, um, Absalom back into the kingdom. So Joab uh, sets up another kind of a parable, uh, like date we had seen with Nathan's parable. Nathan uh, sent the parable, said the parable of the, the sheep, the man who owned the sheep. Well, Joab sends a woman who comes in and says some problem that she's having with two of her sons. One of them kills the other. And David, in determining the the verdict for that situation, actually has given a verdict for himself that Absalom must be allowed to come back. So then Joab, that's where we see the verse uh, right here, 2 Samuel 14, 22. And Joab fell on his face to the ground and paid homage and blessed the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, the king, in that the king has granted the request of his servant. So Joab is trying to bring Absalom back because the people love Absalom. Unfortunately, uh, the, the story of Absalom doesn't finish there. Absalom takes, uh, tries to take over the kingdom because he has some of the favor of the people. And so there's, like I said, the, the, this decline. We have Absalom's conspiracy, and then David has to leave Jerusalem. So it's um, these things are just coming uh, one right after the other. His family, he has, he has lost the respect of his, his uh, family and the respect of his son. We have then the next verse, uh, the next chapter, 2 Samuel 15, um, when, uh, when David is leaving, um, in verse 25, uh, David is fleeing Jerusalem. We have, uh, then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. So Zadok is, um, Abiathar and Zadok are, are carrying the Ark of God, trying to bring it when, with David as he's leaving, saying, well, God is on your side, so we should bring the Ark of God so that people recognize that, uh, that God is going with David, not with Absalom, and Absalom's attempt to overthrow the kingdom. Uh, but David is accepting the consequences that he was going to get um, about the, the curse, in a sense, on his family for his great uh, sin. And he recognizes that he's going to have to live with the results of these things. And so he puts it back onto God saying, don't bring the ark. If God wants me back with the ark, he will bring me back into the kingdom. And so... So we see him again, um, 
This is almost backwards where he is setting it, I guess you could say sort of like a fleece where he's saying, if God wants me back, he will bring me back. I'm not taking it with me. And if the, the please is in that setting it before the Lord, if he five finds favor, he will. And he trusts him and he, he, uh, he leaves and he's in exile for a period. Um, then their next chapter, in chapter 16, verse 4, he's passing uh, out of, of the borders of Jerusalem. And, and it says, when David had passed a little beyond the summit... Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king says, And where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord the king. Uh, of course, um, we find out later that... It's possible that Ziba was deceiving him. He's is already. We know he's an unscrupulous man. He's bringing, um, he's bringing all these uh, these nice things to David. But David believes him that Mephibosheth has betrayed him because, of course, David already is feeling pretty pretty down about who's on his side and and feeling that he deserves the consequences that are coming to him and. Yet, uh, Ziba is unscrupulous. We've already seen that. So in 2 Samuel 19, we see an interesting thing happen. You remember that, um, that Ziba is bringing all these, these donkeys for him. Um, and in chapter 19, uh, when David returns to Jerusalem, uh, he comes together with Mephibosheth. And in verse 24, and Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, which is actually the son of Jonathan, uh, Mephibosheth is this grandson of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, oh, my lord, O oh king, my servant deceived me for... Your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king, for your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like an angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you, for all my ho father's house were but doom men doomed to death before my lord the king, but you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all since my lord the king has come safely home. So, you know, the I mean, D David wasn't sure which of them was telling the truth. Ziba comes out with all these saddled donkeys. I mean, it's not a quick thing to saddle a bunch of donkeys, but uh, it would make sense for Mephibosheth 
to say, we're going, we're leaving, let's go. And, and he gets left behind by Ziba, which is what he claimed happened. Ziba comes with those things as if he, it's his thought, but we already know that Ziba is a very crafty man. Uh, in the case here at the end, when David comes back, chapter 19, uh, David, the fact that Dave, David has divided the lands between them shows that he's not exactly sure which of them is telling the truth. And because he isn't, he said they would divide it. Otherwise, he had given it all to, to Ziba. Makes more sense, especially because you see that Mephibosheth has not cared for himself since David left. So that's a sign that he's, he's in mourning. Also, Mephibosheth, uh, all of his things are theoretically given to Ziba, so he doesn't technically have, have the servants to take care of him. Um, so we don't exactly, uh, it sounds the way the Bible presents him as if Mephibosheth was really deceived, um, but we're not really sure. And what is that, what does it have to do with um, grace? Here it is. Um, Ziba said, I pay homage, let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord the king. So David leaned in towards Ziba. Unfortunately, Ziba was a crafty man and seems that he had betrayed Mephibosheth in order to get this uh, favor from David. When, when David was at a weak point, he gets deceived by this man. Mephibosheth, who is his, uh, he sees almost as his own son, you know, like um, as he, he is the son of his, his dear friend, Jonathan, who has died, and he's cared for him ever since Jonathan had died. He brought him into his table and to, to feel betrayed by, um, by that man who is, who is weak and broken himself to be betrayed by him was added to his misery and Ziba bringing that news, even though he brought all the food to bring that news was, was certainly devastating to him as, and as David is in a sense, a type of Christ, you know, where he is in the garden, he is suffering, um, you know, definitely Christ and David's sufferings are different cause. David was suffering for his own sin. Um, but, but as, as far as being betrayed by his friends, and we do see in the Psalms that David says, uh, they've turned their, they've turned their, um, backs on me. People who've eaten at my table have turned their backs on me. And he's probably referring right there to Mephibosheth. And so the, from chapter 16 until chapter 19, David is living with this betrayal of Mephibosheth, right? So we have three, those three instances of um, grace in 2 Samuel. And looking back again at our verse, uh, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Uh, do we see that in David's life here, in the, the sequence of events from um, from being, uh, from losing his child in chapter 12 to being um, uh, betrayed and uh, by his own son. Uh, he, he brings his son back and then being betrayed by his son, right? The people that he is doing good to are betraying him. And we see that, we see that uh, David is, he's trying to show grace to people. 
in the way, even in the way he was toward Absalom, you know, don't kill the boy. He loved Absalom. He, he cried, Absalom, Absalom, my son. When Absalom died, even though Absalom had betrayed him, you know, he's trying to live with, with, with this kindness machine in a sense, this, this grace, forgiveness. He's trying to live and he's trying to demonstrate that. And I think we see through David's life, we see the grace of God. We see that God had to discipline David for the, I mean, because it was for us. It was in front of us that David committed the sin with Bathsheba. And we would see from David's story how God deals with sin. If God had just disregarded it, had no consequence, we could say, oh, okay, I guess we get, uh, we get to do that too. But instead, um, what we see in the Bible is that when people sin and don't repent, we see the bad things will happen. When people sin and repent, we see a forgiveness. And we also see sometimes the world's consequences have to naturally come about. Uh, even in the midst of the world's consequences, David did his best to um, show the grace of God and to demonstrate that God's grace toward him was not in vain, that he worked harder than any of them to show grace, to be, to be honoring to God. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with him. And we do see that God gave him the strength to do the right thing. So David was living by faith. He was living by faith. And um, he had the disadvantage of not having the Holy Spirit um, as was given on Pentecost uh, to the church. Um, the way that people were, um, were empowered to do the right thing was, was not in the same way as in the New Covenant, which is why in, the, in Jeremiah it says, I will do a new thing. I will put my law in your heart and um, cause you to do the right thing. David did have a special relationship with God, he, but he was an Old Testament believer, and he did not have the strength um, that we have uh, with the Holy Spirit in our life. So this is, um, this is 2 Samuel for us. This is what we can learn from 2 Samuel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for uh, the story of David, and we pray that we would be just as merciful, just as gracious in our difficulties uh, when we've been offended by people and when we have to uh, keep moving forward, though people we love have hurt us deeply. Pray that we would walk in that forgiveness and that we be gracious in response. It's very hard to do that. And um, yet we have the Holy Spirit that Christ has given us. Because of that, we are confident that you will enable us to do the right thing, to be, um, to uh, work harder than any of them because it's the grace of God that is with us. Uh, we pray that you will um, continue to bless this study as we study the word grace in, uh, in the Bible. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one more word for you from Proverbs 16.24. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Let us go forth with gracious words 
thank you for listening to Grace and Mercy Podcast with author Darlene Bojack. This has been episode 23 in season two, Applying Grace. You can find the show notes for this episode, including links to uh, the verses that we talked about at graceandmercypodcast.com. In lieu of the question of the week, again, we have an open comments on graceandmercypodcast.com. You'll see my a phone number you can send a voice message um, there and I'd love to share it on our next one of our next upcoming episodes all right God be with you take care bye bye